electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Steve Grasso, Bono and Eisen, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast, we are trading the financials. J.P. Morgan shares under pressure today as the big bank kicks off earnings season. Bank of America, City, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley all on deck tomorrow. We've got your big bank set up straight ahead. Plus, Fast Money friend William Shatner making history today, becoming the oldest person to travel into space. And with all the money and the hype around the new space race, why are the space stocks failing to launch? We'll find out. And later, Pete is taking the mound to throw out his best idea why he thinks this energy stock is fueling up for big gains ahead. We'll bring you the name. But we start off with what might be the season of excuses. As we gear up for earnings, does corporate America have every excuse to make an excuse? Check out Delta today, the company reporting its first quarterly profit since the pandemic. But the stock fell more than 5% because Delta warned rising fuel prices will likely lead to a loss in the coming quarter. Then there was FedEx. We heard from them three weeks ago. The shipping giant saying labor shortage will cost them $450 million last quarter. Nike also playing the blame game, the retail giant cutting guidance late last month due to ongoing supply chain issues. So with markets just 4% away from all-time highs, are we actually prepared for all the excuses in what could end up being a season of disappointment? Guy, what do you say? You know what they say about excuses, Mel? I hope you know, because I'm not going to say it here on this uh, family show this evening. Is the market prepared for it? I think the market actually is very prepared for it. I think they've come to the conclusion that you know, a lot of companies are going to throw those things out there, but they're going to get punished for it. You know, Bill Parcells, and Pete knows this, as his Bono and Stevie famously said, you are what your record says you are. So if you're 4-12, as much as you think you should be 12-4, and four, that's what you are. And in the case of FedEx, as much as I'd like to think this is a $350 stock, it's currently trading 225 My point is this, you know, companies can come out and say these things, and this is what's affecting them. I think the market has realized that they're the having the have-nots right now, and names that are going to use excuses like that, will be punished. And others that can see through it and push through it and figure out a way to get to the other side are going to be rewarded. And I think we're seeing that. By the way, I think we saw it to a certain extent today with Apple. I thought Apple traded remarkably well, given those headlines yesterday. I thought so, too. I mean, it was down, what, less than a percent by the end of the session. And you would think when the headline crossed yesterday, um, you know, 24 hours ago, that it would end up being much more pressured in today's session. At the same time, Pete, do we really know what the extent of the supply chain disruption is? Do we have a handle on it? I mean, just a couple months ago, we thought it was going to resolve itself much sooner than than what we're looking at right now. Pete. Pete? We're oh, Pete, I thought you said yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. No, no, no. Sorry about that. My, <laughs> my fault. Pete Nigerian. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, sorry about that, Mel. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's really interesting, Mel. When we look at this, I, I, you know, those excuses are very legitimate excuses, I think, when we talk about supply chain specifically, because, yes, that was supposed to be getting loosened up a little bit. It wasn't loosening up, and it still hasn't loosened up. And now the president has 
this working 24-7, and that should actually start to loosen things up a little bit more, and then we start to catch up. I don't know that I view those as excuses as much as, uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, you can blame this, you can blame that. I think it's very legitimate, but it's how we, dis- we determine what those companies are and how well are they navigating through a lot of what they've got to deal with right now, whether it's supply chain or labor or whatever it might be. Obviously, the Delta variant was hanging around for a little while. Now that seems to be subsided pretty well. So there's a lot of different reasons why I think much of this was priced in because of the fact that a lot of people have been seeing this. Now, when we get these earnings results, I think we're going to find out a lot more about who's really good, who's really navigating this well, and who's not. And that, I think, is going to be something that's going to play out over the next month and a half or two as we get all these earnings, and I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I think in most cases, though, I think we are seeing a lot of companies that legitimately have had had issues, but they're giving us what their forecast looks like, and I think in most cases, other than Delta today, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I wanted to say about about the using the term excuse we didn't pick that word because we, we felt that some excuses would be not legitimate. We're just saying excuse as a reason to take earnings down, a reason to pull back guidance, um, Steve. And so for a company, even if they're the best company in the world with the greatest clarity on supply chain that they think they have, do they really know? I mean, nobody really knows. And so I guess what we're saying is, you know, is there any reason to go out and stick your neck out there and give really great guidance when things are, in fact, uncertain? I mean, no. that's what Apple showed us. Regardless of how the stock traded today, it shows us that we don't really know who is susceptible. I agree. And to Guy's point, I think it was uh, I think it's opinions, Guy, is the saying, not excuses. But I could be wrong. So tweet at me, Guy, on that. <laughs> so but but Melissa, it's, it's human nature, right? I have four kids. They all have excuses. I have excuses. <laughs> you're going to take them, right? You're going to, you're going to take any excuse that you could possibly take. But what I will say is that the earnings bar is much lower than last time around. Mm. So what do you want to do with that? I, I would guess that you want to be a buyer of the market. And you, when you intro the show, you came up with 4% from all-time highs. We're also 4% from the 200-day moving average. The, uh, Backtrack. Technicals. If people wanted us to sell from the all-time highs off 10% to feel good about an entry level, that's where we get into that, uh, you know, is this a good buying point or do we have to wait? It's, of my, it's my opinion we're going to have a choppy October. Seasonality, we've seen that before, seen that as long as I've been in the business. Then I think we're going to run right back to all-time highs or all-time highs, I should say, in November and in December, I think that you're trying to hold the beach ball underwater right now. Rates are not aggressively high. I think the market will be bought. Bono, and do you think that's what the market setup is until year end? And, and how are you preparing yourself for, for the conference calls? And we don't have much clarity on, on the chip shortage. And we think it could be better in six months or, you know, whatever they're going to say. A couple shows back, I think we had a few odysseys, and I think this was Odyssey 3 or something that Steve is talking about. So, yes, I, I, I do think that is exactly what's going to happen going into year end. As far as the excuses or reasons or belly buttons or explanations or whatever it is, I, I do think, yes, it is human nature, right? If you see someone that's struggling, you clearly would use that same excuse to set the bar lower for yourself. As far as the market being lax about it, I, I think it is. And even though we have pulled back recently, 
if you look at credit tightness, credit availability, trading near the four, you know, 4% off of recent highs, VIX is just, just a touch over 18. I think a lot of these things do set up and you say, well, is there any downside that's really being priced in? Now, given uh, the accommodative stance of the Fed and all the cash that's on the sidelines, like flush and balance sheets that are flush with cash, I think that it's justified. But I don't think this market is very well positioned for what is shaping up to be a more challenging earnings season. And I think they are trying to, to mitigate that by setting the bar as low as possible so that expectations are exceeded. But I think those expectations are being ratcheted down. And without that pressure on expectations, I do think you see additional chippiness as evidenced by all the other financial metrics that I just mentioned. So basically, Bono, it it may have been a a blessing in disguise, so to speak, I mean, to get these sort of warnings from these big companies in advance of the of the torrent of earnings that we're going to get in the next couple of weeks, because it, it allows the market to sort of reprice what they're thinking of and what they're thinking about for earnings season. Absolutely. I mean, when you're getting when, when you're getting ready to struggle, you want to be able to say, hey, I told you so when I was transparent about it. And I, that, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Guy, you know, we were talking on the call today earlier about Wayfair and this downgrade from Jefferies. And, and what was interesting about this downgrade was talking about the supply chain disruption and vendors specifically that um, are based in China. And so Wayfair has a disproportionate reliance on vendors in China. And so that presents a real challenge for companies like that. I mean, last I checked, I mean, Wayfair is pretty, pretty good prices on furniture and, and home decor, which I'm sure you know about. Uh, and so their margins are pretty thin. There's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of dealing with higher costs there. Absolutely. And that's, listen, that is absolutely real. And, and that's something we brought up a number of times. And, you know, I'm of the belief the situation between China and Taiwan is not getting better anytime soon. And that's just going to continue to add to some of the headwinds that a lot of these companies are facing. We'll see if they play themselves out. I mean, to me, that's not necessarily an excuse as much as it is, hey, this is the business landscape that we find ourselves in. By the way, not unlike what Nike was dealing with in terms of their reliance upon Vietnam, but mm-hmm. they seem to figure it out. I guess my point is, you know, the good companies are going to tell you what's going on, and these are the reasons we're going to get through them, and this is how we're dealing with them, where other companies just, again, you use your word excuse, and Steve is right about opinions, by the way, but I took a little poetic license. Some companies <laughs> take them, and, and they don't tell you how they're going to get to the other side. That, to me, is problematic. And quite frankly, the environment that we find ourselves in is perfect because those companies are getting punished and the other companies are being rewarded. I have a confession to make. I had no idea what you're talking about, Guy, in the beginning when you said that saying. I had no idea. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in the break, Mel. I'll tell you in the break. I figured it out since, like three minutes, four minutes into the show. Anyway, let's talk more about whether the market is pricing in an earnings season filled with if onlys. Joining us on the Fast Line, Bespoke Investment Group co-founder, Paul Hickey. Paul, great to have you with us for this topic in particular. Um, how are you seeing the setup into earnings season at this point? I mean, I think you guys have all touched on it pretty well here. Um, I, you know, you look at uh, where expectations are in this earnings season versus the last five earnings seasons. Uh, analyst revisions heading into this earnings season are pretty much evenly split between upward and downward revisions. So it's all about, uh, you know, as we all know, it's all about expectations. And just using a football analogy, 
you know, the Chiefs are two and three. The Giants are one and four. I would say Chiefs fans are a lot more are feeling a lot worse right now than Giant fans are because the expectations for the Chiefs were much higher coming into this season versus the Giants, and so it sets the stage for more disappointment. And you know, coming to these headwinds, supply chain uh, and labor shortages, if, and whether or not they're priced in. If you look at Google search trends of how often supply chain and the term labor shortages are being searched, they're at record highs going back to 2004. So, I mean, if if searches for these terms are at record highs, you've got to hope that analysts have priced it in by, by this point or have ratcheted in their numbers. And I think what we've seen in the revisions trends is that they have been taking this into account, which will make the bar uh, a lot more manageable this earnings season than in uh, earning seasons over the past few quarters. Are there some sectors, Paul, where you, where you take a look at the, the particular sector and think, you know what, maybe it, it's not priced in or maybe the revisions haven't haven't hit the sector enough so that it is, in fact, priced in? Yeah, so what we look at on an individual sector basis, uh, the energy sector right now, uh, the trend in revisions is the the most positive of any sector by a mile. Uh, and so when you look at prior earnings seasons where you've seen similar levels of trends and revisions to the upside, the energy sector during that earnings season has averaged declines with declines during earnings season more than half of the time. So, again, there's the, there's the real-world example of expectations and then how they're met by the market once the reports come out. Then you can look on the other side of the extreme. You have materials where we've seen a heavy uh, bias towards downward revisions heading into this earnings season. And what we've seen when you see revisions trends this negative or more negative uh, heading into the earnings reporting period, the sector tends to do pretty well during earnings season with gains more than three-quarters of the time. So, again, there the bar is set low. And just as far as the broader market and how we're going to see reactions to earnings this earnings season, you know, we have had some companies report already. So we've had about 50 companies in the S&P 1500 report earnings over the last month. And on the day of these companies reported, on average, they've, had, they've seen a modest gain in reaction to their earnings with gains about half of the time. So it's nothing, it's nothing real positive, but it's nothing negative either. So it, it, it's more of a draw. And since those companies have reported, we've seen similar reactions in the stock. So like not just the one day, but since from the time they reported until now, returns are about flat. So uh, again, there, there's really not that much of a shock on the part of investors at this point to the earnings coming in. And at the top of the show, you mentioned Nike and talk about company facing all the headwinds of commodity inflation, supply chain disruptions and labor shortages. Uh, that stock dropped over 6% on the day it reported earnings. And because of these headwinds, it's already erased more than two thirds of that decline from that initial day. Wow. So investors have come in and stepped into it. Uh, and I, I think that somewhat bodes well and, and that right. people are expecting some sort of these comments to come up. Uh, just quickly, Paul, I noticed on the graphic that we showed the audience that uh, revisions, upward revisions to financials were up. And I'm wondering how you think that sets us up for tomorrow. We are on the eve of a huge deluge of financials earnings tomorrow. Yeah, so the financials are an interesting story because they tend to react horribly mm -hmm. on the day they report earnings. JP Morgan, this was the fifth straight quarter it's been down in reaction to earnings. Bank of America has been down seven of 
seven past uh, earnings reports on the day it reported earnings. Citigroup down six in a row. So the short term, they've been very negative. But if you look at all those stocks over that period, they've all done pretty well. So while there's the market sold the news, then people stepped in shortly thereafter. All right, Paul, great to speak with you. Thanks for phoning in. You too, thanks. Paul Hickey of Bespoke. Pete Nigerian, what do you think of those sectors that Paul mentioned? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting, Mel. I mean, you know, when, it, when you look at what, who's going to get affected most, obviously there are certain names that absolutely come up. You look at Nike and look at some of these names of who's really under the most pressure. When I look at some of the financials, that's a different type of pressure that they're under, and obviously they've been dealing with this for a really long period of time now. So I would expect the numbers to look great. We saw the J.P. Morgan numbers. They were fine. It was just a matter, in my opinion, of where was J.P. Morgan in terms of where the stock was trading versus the rest of the, the financial world. And that trades at a very expensive valuation. When I say that, I mean price to book. So I see that as a little bit of a headway, but I think there's a lot of these other names that trade very, very inexpensively. Bank of America, City, mm-hmm. some of those names, where I think they do have the ability to maybe give a great number and actually move to the upside. All right, coming up, much more on the banks. J.P. Morgan, as you mentioned before, falling today after reporting. Is this a sign of how the others will fare? We'll break that down ahead. But first, our chart of the day, why one bad apple doesn't spoil the bunch. We'll explain that. We're live from the Nasdaq market side in Times Square. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple suppliers remaining under pressure today following reports that the tech giant is planning to slash iPhone production. Skyworks, Texas Instruments, Corvo, Broadcom all dropping today. But the semi-struggles didn't spill over to the stocks that are not tied to Apple. Names like AMD, NVIDIA, both posting gains today. And check out the chart of the day. The chip stocks that supply Apple have been lagging the non-supplier for months. So, Guy, you actually you flagged this. You call. You wanted to look at this chart, and you're right spot on when it when it comes to taking a look at this. Yeah, we did. We danced around it last night. We actually brought up the fact that we thought both AMD and NVIDIA would trade well today. Given the news we heard, it's interesting. We had a Skyworks downgrade today. I think the the price target was lowered from 220 to 165. So, as great as it would seem on you know on the surface to be an Apple supplier, and I'm sure it's wonderful. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be all that great for the stock. And, you know, Apple's notorious for squeezing their, some of their suppliers. And I think it's manifesting itself in some of these stock prices. I think Texas Instruments is still too expensive. And quite frankly, this uh, divergence that you're seeing in that chart, I think it's going to continue for a while. 
I think both AMD and NVIDIA are going to continue to grind higher, where the rest of these names, the other four you mentioned, are going to go sideways to slightly low over the next few months. Is that how you want to look at the, at the chip world, Bono in? You don't want to be in the suppliers. You want to be in the others. You know, I wonder if parsing through this, the, the supply chain is if we're missing a little bit here, right? So Guy mentioned a, a great point, and I don't really think I could be any more eloquent about it in terms of all of those guys have already kind of conceded that negotiating lever in terms of the, the margin that they've given up in order to supply Apple. And the last time I checked, Apple wasn't exactly very transparent in terms of what their supply chain and, and integration really looks like. I mean, iPhone sales are about 50% of Apple's revenue. So who, so who am I looking at? I mean, Apple. And I, and I don't really understand why that stock hasn't traded, um, hasn't traded off a little bit more uh, on the back of this news. I do expect AMD and, and NVIDIA to, to outperform, but for different reasons. Um, I think NVIDIA has been top in class, same with AMD, for some time. And you've, you've seen it you know, a, across the board at the expense of uh, Intel and some of the others. Um, Texan, I, I'm with Guy in terms of like that price to earnings ratio is definitely bloated vis-a-vis the others, but its return on equity kind of supports um, kind of supports that metric to me. So I, I do think that you are paying for a premium there. Um, you know, honestly, I would be waiting to get back into Apple. That I want to see how that stock trades, and I'd be looking squarely on them uh, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis uh, the, the suppliers. Sounds like Cabano and Steve thinks that there's more downside here for Apple. What do you think? Yeah, he does. I'm actually in Apple. I, I feel pretty good about Apple. And the reason why I don't think it's sold off is the 53 or 54 billion in services. So they're focusing on that, even though he is correct on the, on the iPhone numbers. Uh, NVIDIA is up 60% year to date. That one backed off. It seems to have bounced off. I think it's a 100-day moving average. So uh, AMD and NVIDIA are in the gaming chip sector, as everyone on the show knows. So I think that has more to do with that. Those are the tailwinds. Uh, AMD released a new chip, uh, Raytheon RX 6600, for all you geeks out there today. And I think that was a a, a huge tailwind for the stock on a granular level. But I I love Texan. Guy and and Bonowin don't, don't like it. I agree with their analysis, but the chart tells me that Texan can actually move higher. And believe it or not, Qualcomm, which is down 13% year to date, it's, it's right down at support from October 2020. So if you're thinking about throwing the, you know, rolling the dice, throwing a dart here, I think you, you dabble in Qualcomm or Texan. All right. Well, Kramer is sticking by one Apple supplier despite reports of iPhone production cuts. Find out which one by signing up for the CNBC Investing Club newsletter. Head over to CNBC.com backslash investing club or use a QR code on the side of your screen. Well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Big bank earnings are underway. J.P. Morgan in the books. So how will the other financials fare? The traders are checking the balance on this group next. Plus, our own Pete Nigerian is getting ready to throw some heat with a fast pitch. The energy name he says is primed to pump higher. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of J.P. Morgan. The stock falling today as the big banks kicked off earnings season with a beat. Reported a $1.5 billion boost from better-than-expected loan losses. CEO Jamie Dimon said the quarter was strong despite negative economic impact from the Delta variant and supply chain disruptions. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City, and Goldman Sachs also weaker today as they gear up for earnings later this week, tomorrow. So what's your take on the bank action today? Guy, what'd you make of this quarter? I thought the quarter is fine. There's nothing wrong at all with the quarter. We've talked about banks now for a while. Karen's been discussing the setup, and she's right. And we've pointed out, I think correctly, that you know you go back over the last couple of years, J.P. Morgan reports, and I would say 90% of the time, the knee-jerk reaction is the stock sells off. You saw that today. I'll say again, I think there's a very good chance we're going to be trading north of the all-time high in the next few weeks. Um, so I think the quarter's fine. I don't think there are any surprises. I think out of all of them, and they're going to report tomorrow, I think Morgan Stanley has been fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stock continues to go, as the old saying, from the lower left to the upper right. And although it's probably stretched into earnings, I mean, I think that's a company that's really acquitted itself extraordinarily well over the last couple of years. All right. Let's talk more about the banks as we gear up for an onslaught of earnings. Joining us now is Jeff Hart. He covers the financials for Piper Sandler. Jeff, great to see you again. Good afternoon. Good to be back. Um, it didn't seem like there was anything wrong with the quarter. The management uh, call on call seemed a little bit conservative, and I'm wondering what, what your take was. Yeah, I think the, the reaction today was driven by a couple things. One is just the setup coming into the quarter. I mean, bank stocks have had a good month as a 10-year goes up, but it's always important to remember the 10-year tends to be good for bank stocks, not so good for bank fundamentals. So, I mean, they kind of probably ran up a little bit more than they should have given the interest rate environment. And I think there was some hope that we'd get uh, incrementally more positive kind of outlook commentary out of J.P. Morgan. We didn't really get much on 2023, but it certainly wasn't kind of the incremental positive I think the, the market was looking for. So, I mean, there's some concerns out there about kind of the trajectory of expenses and you know, how good can that interest income be? But I mean, bottom line, the quarter beat my expectations and pretty much fundamentals did across the board as well. So I think it was a pretty good quarter, just a, a tough setup coming in. Yeah. What do you take from the J.P. Morgan quarter and, and how do you use that to, to sort of, um, you know, apply that to the other quarters that we're expecting tomorrow? Well, a couple of things stood out. One is the strength of both advisory revenues and actually equity trading revenues. Those are big businesses for Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs that report the next couple of days. So, I mean, that should be good news for both of them. The overall investment banking stuff helps the city and a, and a B of A as well, though I think the kind of lack of interest rate guidance and, and kind of the, the not really stepping up the, the loan growth expectations could, could prove a bit more of a headwind for, for both uh, B of A and city the next couple of couple of days as well. So I think that the outlook here is, at least for the quarter, I think a lot better for the capital market heavy names than kind of your traditional banks. Yeah. What did you hear about credit card expenses that you think um, got extrapolated to the credit card companies today, the stocks that caused them to be a little soft? Yeah, I mean, we heard a couple things on credit cards, at least I was hearing back from investors concern on. One was loan growth. And really, I don't think the substance of what we got was any different than we expected, though the tone seemed a little more conservative, which I think scared people a bit. But then also expenses, which for J.P. Morgan, some of the, the card or the customer acquisition expenses actually run as a contra revenue. So it showed up in revenues. But, you know, they're, they're spending to gain market share. And I think there's concern that the rest of the group's going to have to do the same to kind of keep pace. You can see the credit card names kind of get hit today. But I, I think the reaction to the credit card stuff's overdone in that. 
JP Morgan spending, but it doesn't necessarily mean everybody else has to. And they're still getting pretty good uh, returns there. And look, all the underlying drivers of loan growth, the stuff we can look for, like, you know, consumer spending, deposit balances and, and kind of the typical accounts that revolve have been getting kind of the excess work down. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that suggest, you know, credit card loan growth is going to continue growing. It's just got a long way to get back to its pre-crisis levels. How do you think about uh, buy now, pay later um, and the popularity of that and the, and the trend toward that and the impact on credit cards? You know, I, I think the impact is more one of kind of incremental profit margin erosion, right? I mean, it's not like the big banks or the credit card companies can't do buy now, pay later themselves. It's just a matter of getting the software there. I think that the hesitancy has been it does eat into, can eat into the credit card business, which is a, a pretty high margin business. But the demand's clearly there. And now you're starting to see, you know, the JP Morgan, certainly of the world, rolling out the capability. So, I mean, I, I think the risk they face is more, it's kind of another incremental pressure on, on revenues potentially. There's a lot of growth there, but it's still a really small part of the market. So, at some point in time, it gets to the point where that growth isn't quite as great. Some of the buy now, pay later companies maybe face some headwinds. But the, the banks are taking it seriously, getting in the game now. And I think you're going to see them kind of grow and grow and take more share there. All right, Jeff, great to see you. Thanks, Jeff Hart of Piper Sandler. Um, Pete, I know we got your take on, on financials a little bit, a little appetizer in the A block, but I'm wondering in terms of the banks that we're <laughs> yeah. expecting tomorrow, which one are you focusing on? Well, I would say this, Mel, when I look at J.P. Morgan, the fact that it is two times book, that was an issue for me because when I look at those numbers, they were great. And Jeff was just reiterating how strong those numbers really were, mostly at least across the board in equity trading. I think, I think equity trading, investment banking, boy, I think that immediately starts to move me over to names like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, those kinds of names, more so than the actual bank names themselves, the Bank of America City type type names. So when I, when I look at this, I think that there's some great opportunities. There are some very inexpensive banks out there that could potentially put up some numbers that we could actually see these stocks actually, I think, move to the upside in a big way. Names like City that trade less than one times book. So I think there's a lot of room there for some of these names to actually perform to the upside. Morgan Stanley would probably be my favorite coming up. All right. Well, let's pit your favorite against, um, you know, a fintech company for Bonowin. So Morgan Stanley or Square, where do you want to be in, in financials? Um, listen, going into earnings, I think Morgan Stanley set up well. I mean, you're looking at equity trading, and, and although that is much more volatile, I do think they're going to do extremely well there. And that has really carried the banks through COVID. Short term, definitely Morgan Stanley. Over the long term, I can see a company like Square continuing or other DeFi. We talked about Sophie uh, you know, a couple of days back. I can see these starting to siphon away market share. And I can understand the consternation around crypto and DeFi um, and, and these other alternatives. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you need to have a little bit of both. Short term, definitely do what's more stable and what's a, a proven commodity. But I think you should be diversifying. And the consumer is showing you just that. Look at the consumer trends. They're involved in these in these um, fintech companies. Grasso, your take? Yeah, so real quick, uh, PNC uh, has the best chart in the financials. It's a regional. It's up 35% year to date, but it blows away all the other charts in the space. Bank of PNC comes out with earnings in two, uh, two days, so it's on, it's on Friday. Um, if I look at the charts, though, uh, Bank America seems pretty good, too. 
always gets left out. It's up 42% year to date. Everyone talks about J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. Look at PNC, look at Bank America, and look at a firm. I'll give you a would you rather. I'd rather be in a firm than Visa or MasterCard <laughs> right now. Uh, Jeff, Jeff just talked about it. It's going to eat away at the tradi- traditional credit card companies' profits. So, yes, they can pivot or they can buy in a firm. You know how Santa Claus keeps a list? Naughty and nice. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> FYI. Yeah, All right. Yeah, do- <laughs> Cole, Cole has re- Cole has rallied. I'll take it. (laughs) All right. Do not miss a big interview with Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman. That is tomorrow after the bank reports earnings, 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up, a real-life Star Trek. William Shatner blasting off into space today. But the space stocks are having some trouble taking off. We'll find out what is keeping them grounded. But first, put on your rally caps because our own Pete Najarian is winding up to give you his fast pitch. This energy stock, he says, is fueled for more gains. You don't want to miss this one. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out this energy stock. It is up more than 30% this year. And Pete says this name is about to pump even higher. He's stepping up to the plate today to deliver a fast pitch. So, Pete, take it away. All right. I'm going to start off with Kinder Morgan. And this is a really uh, people will view it as a dull stock. You just pointed out why it's not a dull stock. This is pipelines. I'll tell you what. Richard Kinder owns 257 million shares of his own company. So that tells you a little bit of how committed he is and consistently just buying shares up. Whenever this stock dips, he seems to buy even more. He's got a gentleman named Stephen Keene who took over for him back in 2015, who's done an absolutely magnificent job. They had a lot of debt, Mel, and what they've done, I think, fundamentally, is really important. So they're trading at about an 18 PE. Fundamentally, they've got all this cash flow, five to five and a half million dollar, billion dollars every single year. So what did they do with that? Instead of giving you it in the dividend, they bought back their debt, and they bought back about 20% of their debt. So they still got some, but now they've actually turned the spigots back on again for the dividend yield. I think that takes a lot of discipline to be able to do that, and I love that they've done that. And by the way, a 6% dividend is not so bad. This is a name, if you can sell options against it every month or every couple of months and collect a little something on top of that 6%, you can enhance that yield even a lot higher. Lastly, I'd like to say the, the, the growth area that we're seeing there is all this power generation from natural gas and the liquefied natural gas that they're shipping all over the world from Europe to Asia. This is a booming industry for them. They've got incredible demand, and they continue to have those pipes moving that around. I really like this stock. I think it can get back into the 20s in the not-too-distant future. Steve, you got a question for Pete. I do. So, Pete, when you look at this, are you looking at more of the stability? Because obviously this stock moves the molecules around versus actually buying something that has a direct leverage to the gas, uh, to nat gas. So I agree. I agree with you there. I'm just trying to figure out, are you buying it for yield or are you buying it for stability? And, And when nat gas starts to come off, this one can actually still move higher. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Yeah, I like the stability. I like the consistency of what they do. I like the consistency, Steve, of what they bring in in terms of that cash flow that I was talking about, the operating cash flow. I think they do a lot of things right. Is it the most exciting name in the world? No. 
But I think when you look around and everybody was always looking for, well, what do I do if I'm looking at the, the rates, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that, and I'm looking for something where I can do better than I can in the financial world, in the banks and so forth, I think this is one of those names. I don't think it hurts you very much to the downside. I think there is some upside. And meanwhile, while you wait, you get 6%. And like I say, sell some options against it. Maybe it actually enhances it up to well into the double digits at least. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on KMI? Bonwin, what do you say? KMI, I'm buying it. And I'm buying it because I think Pete did a great job qualifying why he's buying it. Stability, core holding, rates, option overriding, dividend yield. That, I think that was a perfectly done pitch. Well done, Steve. I knew the Sorry, 6% well done, plus the overriding was going to get Bonwin thank, for thank sure. You, Bonwin. knew it. <laughs> um, Guy, what do you say? Can you read my smart board for me, please, okay, Melissa? Okay, we're going to do please. this again. Um, Pete's Kinder Morgan, an excellent power pitch haiku. Uh, hashtag fast haiku. Power pitch. You missed the exclamation point. You might, the exclamation point is key there, of course, that being five syllables, Mel. Right, please. that doesn't count. Yes, I'm with Pete. <laughs> Forty percent of the nat gas moved in this country has moved through Kinder Morgan pipelines, pricing power. I was surprised when I looked. It's not north of 20. This stock should be trading at levels we last saw in 2015. Your last line can't be punctuation spelled out. It should be like, it's a screaming buy. No, like, that that's, one's no. Ex- exclamation point know, is five the, syllables. I understand that. I can count. Anyway, the trader, uh, Steve, actually. <laughs> Forgotten you, Steve. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give Pete. I'm gonna give Pete a buy uh, over here because whenever Pete does a power pitch, he usually hits it out of the park. I like the fact that even with Nat Gas coming in, there's a potential for Kinder to still perform, and I love that yield. So a buy. All right, you got them all, Pete. The traders have spoken. It's your turn out there to vote. Are you buying Pete's fast pitch on Kinder Morgan? Go to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Cast your vote. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Coming up, failure to launch. William Shatner may have finally seen space, but not everyone is coming along for the ride. We've got the details next. More fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A huge day for Trekkies and William Shatner, I guess. The Star Trek actor blasting off into space today in a Blue Origin rocket. Shatner is now the oldest person to reach outer space. But while Captain Kirk fulfilled his lifelong dream, the space stocks Remain grounded. Big players like Rocket Lab, Astrospace, even Virgin Galactic all down over the past month. Um, Grasso, you're in Virgin, so I'm wondering what you make of this action. Yeah, I still think that it's the bigger picture is growth versus value. And these are seen as the ultimate growth stocks because when you watch the event today, you notice a handful of people that are in the actual uh, vehicle that gets you into outer space. So you have to do the math. Is there real money to be made here? And eventually there will be. I'm still in Virgin Galactic, but this is the ultimate growth space, literally. So you have to sort of, you know, hold it, put it in that. What does BK say? Top draw. You have to put it in the top draw and see maybe what you're going to look like in two to five years. This stock, I bought at 15, traded up to 60. It's down around the mid-20s right now. I think it has tremendous upside. I'm still there. Is it time to put it in your top drawer, Pete? Because you put it in your top drawer, it takes up space, and you can't put something else in your top drawer. For, I mean, especially if you have to have it in your top <laughs> drawer for that long. 
You know, Mel, I got to tell you, and I'm, this is totally the truth. I, Steve talked me into this stock, actually, and really? I wasn't on the show that night. I happened to be watching, and, and he talked me into it. I've been there ever since. And part of the reason I like, I like the stock, not only like it, I think I love it, I, I'm almost married to it like my wife. I mean, it's terrible. But uh, here's why I, I like it so much. <laughs> oh, I can sell premium. And I know, I know, I know Bonowin can understand this because he, he's a big option guy as well. So the override idea, Bonowin, this is great because I can literally collect $2 a month, which obviously at the end of the year, that's 24 bucks, right? I can sell options $2 every month. I've done that since I bought it in June of 2020. And now I own the stock virtually for free because of all that collection of premium over time. So I love this stock. I'll continue to do this, and I just have to manage that throughout the time or whatever. But I do think eventually these stocks will start to take off literally again. And I think there's room. I, I, if it gets to 50 again, I'll still hold on to it. Loopy might actually be watching. I don't know how she'll feel about that. I know. <laughs> that was a mistake. That was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. Guy, when I heard William Shatner was going up in space, I thought of you because of your ah. Fast Money moniker, not because he's the <laughs> oldest guy in space, because of your Fast Money. You used to be known as the negotiator, which he was known as for some time as well. Yeah, we've actually chatted about that from time to time. Listen, William Shatner, I happen to know, he's a huge Fast Money fan, and I know he was all emotional today after the flight. Good for him. I thought there was a tremendous opportunity today uh, for him to be a pitch person for Pfizer drug. I won't necessarily go down that road, but I think it was a lost opportunity. And if I want to get nauseous, uh, I'll just watch like a Star Trek rerun or something like that. I don't need to go into space myself. Coming up. Is the top in for oil the big trade we saw in the options market today that got us asking that question? We'll break down the action. And there's still time to vote for Pete's fast pitch on Kinder Morgan. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We got the results in just a few. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Okta. You can watch that full interview. Top of the hour on Mad Money. All right. From the cloud to crude, one trader in the options market is making a big bet that the top could be in for oil. Tony Zhang joins us now with the action. Hey, Tony. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, that's exactly right. We saw a huge trade in ExxonMobil across the tape here today. Now, Exxon doesn't trade. Uh, Exxon trades very actively. About 90,000 contracts a day is traded. But today, about 100,000, a little over 100,000 traded. But 25% of today's volume was in a single trade, where a trader sold 26,645 contracts of the December 65 calls for about a dollar and one cent per share. Now, this is likely a call option that was sold against an equity position rather than an outright naked call, collecting about $2.7 million in premium, about 1.6% of the stock's value. And this is really a, a trade that expresses a view that they think that there's limited upside here in ExxonMobil and perhaps also a limited upside in oil prices as well. And just to put this into perspective, if this call, if the, these calls were sold against an equity position, that equity position is worth about $162 million as of today's close. So certainly a lot of weight behind this particular trade. Guy, what do you think of Exxon? Uh, ConocoPhillips got downgraded by Goldman Sachs earlier this week uh, to neutral. They had a huge run. They took money off the table. Exxon's in a similar camp. I mean, I under actually understand this trade. If they're going to earn that kind of premium, Pete can speak to this. It's probably worth a shot. 
in earnings at the end of the month. What I think about energy, though, I don't think the trade is over at all. I think it's taking a pause. And oh, by the way, just look at the way some of these oil services names traded at the end of the day. Both Halliburton and Schlumberger, which were down early, all closed around unchanged. So I still think we're in middle innings of the energy trade. Right. Um, Exxon, though, is not going to give you that leverage, that same leverage, Steve, as some of the other ones. Yeah, it's not, but but it's almost the uh, the kinder trade that Pete had. It's going to give you the stability that you're looking for. And when you're playing this, who wants to guess around whether they're buying EMPs or whether they're buying refiners? Who's who's leveraged? Who's not leveraged? So at the end of the day, I think we have an administration that does not want that wants to limit supply of fossil fuels. That equals one thing and one thing only to me: higher prices. So I think. The entire space, the entire sector can move higher. All right. Tony, thank you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, well, Pete's poll results. You can still vote, though. you got a couple minutes. Kinder Morgan is the name. Head on over to the Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. And we have the results and your final trades up next. Big interview coming your way tomorrow. Walgreens CEO Roz Brewer sitting down with us exclusively after earnings. Be sure to catch it 7 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. All right, time to find out if the viewers at home were buying Pete's fast pitch on Kinder Morgan. And it looks like they were. More than 62% of voters are buying that pitch. So they are with the traders united tonight. Good job, Pete. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Pete, what do you say? I'm going to give you AMD. A lot of call activity there, Mel. I think this stock's going a lot higher. Bono and Eisen. $80 support, Peloton, PTON. Steve Grasso. So I think the market gave us a real gift in this. My, my final trade is Capri Holdings, CPRI. So the market sold off. It sold off CPRI with Nike. But CPRI, Capri, does not rely on Vietnam. For supply issues, this is a gift. Buy it. All right. Guy Adami. Mel, I know you're a huge hockey fan. I want your input on this. If you a yes or no will suffice. You know, Rangers caps tonight. Do you think they're going to drop early with Tom Wilson? Do you think they'll wait for more opportune time later in the game? Early, for sure. Yeah. You know what, Mel? It's incredible. I mean, if you didn't do CNBC, you should be doing ESPN. PayPal in earnings next week, sister. Mad Money starts right now. (laughs) This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.